If you got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 9 as we continue to talk about what child is this. Isaiah chapter 9, we're really just looking at one verse, verse 6, and really kind of just looking at one name uh, each week for the next four. Well, we've done week one, and so now we've got two more weeks following this. But I love these names that are mentioned in the book of Isaiah, and today we're going to talk about the mighty God. And what that means, this name, this title is given to Jesus, the one that was prophesied about in Isaiah's time 700 years before Jesus ever came to exist in this world. And so we talk about this prophecy of Jesus being the mighty God. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but there are certain things that I like to watch on TV. And I had gotten into this routine of watching World's Strongest Man. You know, you get on ESPN, and it was the metric world's strongest man. And you'd see these dudes on there that I wouldn't even think to say something ugly towards them because uh, I probably wouldn't exist if I did. And I just look at these guys, and I think, my goodness, these guys are extremely strong. Now, I would get on there, and I'd, of course, be pulling for the guy from the USA because I'm just that kind of guy. I want to pull for my, the guy that's from my country. And I remember watching some of the different feats that they did. Some of the things they did, one of my favorites was the vehicle pull. I mean, they would literally strap these guys to semi-trucks, and they would pull a semi-truck. Or one of the coolest ones I saw was they strapped them to a plane and had them pull a plane across this tarmac. And I thought, this is crazy that these guys can do it. I mean, this is things that vehicles were pulling, and yet here are these men pulling them along. One of my other favorites was called the Hercules Hold. And that's where you have these two pillars, and they had to stretch out this far, and they had to hold as long as they could these two pillars up that weighed hundreds of pounds on both sides. And they just stood there like this until their grip they had to let go when the pillars fell down sideways. That was always one of my favorites. Another one that was kind of cool that had to have a little bit of grace was called the Fingle Fingers. Yeah, you're looking at me like, what is that? Uh, what it was is it was these six pipes that were laid out, and each one was longer in length, and each one weighed a little bit heavier. And they go and pick it up, have to flip it up over the head, run it up, and push it over, and then go around and grab the next finger and push it up like that. And they go over and over like this until they finish the race. And then there were the Atlas stones, which was kind of cool. Each gigantic stone ball weighed more and more, and they had to pick it up heavier and higher up uh, over and over and over again. And I just love this competition because I used to think to myself, that's me, I could do that, right? Said no man ever that did not work as hard as they did, right? But I just remember watching that and thinking, man, these are some of the strongest guys. These are the kind of guys you call over and say, hey, I'm moving, can you help me move, right? These are the kind of guys that you want to have beside of you. I remember one time I was at a conference and one, a preacher friend of mine was standing beside of me and he was pretty big and I said, yeah, this is my bodyguard. He's watching over me. But those are the kind of guys that you look at and you say, these guys can handle, it seems like, so many things. They're so strong and they don't have to worry about anything. But to be honest with you, when I think about how strong they are, they don't even come close to my God. They don't even come close to the mighty of the mighties. They don't even come close to the strongest person that we know, and that is Jesus and so when I think about the idea of the mighty God, I want us to understand just how awesome Jesus is compared to any man in this world. Because there is nobody that can even come close to comparing with Jesus. So let's take a look in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and let's read it again. It says this, for unto us a child is born, which is what the reason for the season is. Unto us a son 
is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This morning we're going to focus on the Mighty God. So if you look in scripture and we see this over and over again, how the might of God, but I want you to understand that this might is not just talking about almighty God, it is also talking about Jesus, the one who was born in a manger. In Genesis 17 and verse 1, this statement is made, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Now the word for mighty here in Isaiah is the word gibor. But the word is used in Genesis 17 is actually talking about the same thing. He's called the El Shaddai, if you've ever heard that word before. El Shaddai, the almighty God. Now there's also another term for it that's used in the New Testament several times. uh, But in particular in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. It says this, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word curios pantocrator, which simply means the almighty Lord. The idea of being almighty means to be all powerful. Now the idea of being all powerful means it is one who never runs out of power. Now I don't know if you are one of those that has gotten into the electric cars just yet, right? If you're one of those that gets into electric cars, you'll notice that they can't go very far. I think the longest one it can go is about 300 miles for you have to stop and charge it for 30 minutes to an hour as opposed to taking a couple minutes to pump gas. But anyways, it takes a long time. Why? Because the power runs out. The power drains. If you've ever had batteries that you put in remotes, it gets a little frustrating when you turn on the television and all of a sudden the remote's not working. Then you have to go back to the old school remote, which is actually get up, walk to the television, and hit a button on it, like what my dad used to make us do. And that's how you would open it. But batteries run out of power. The idea of the Almighty is one who can expose and extend and give power without losing an ounce. God doesn't have to be recharged. He doesn't need to rest. He doesn't need to take a break. In fact, I love uh, Elijah in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18 when he talked about this. He talked about those people's other gods. He says, maybe your God is on a break. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's indisposed. Maybe he needs a nap. Our God doesn't need any of those things. Our God never takes a break. He never needs a stoppage of time. He never needs for us to to give him a time to rest. Our God's power never runs out. But he's talking about the little baby. He's talking about the one born in the manger is the mighty, almighty, powerful God. So when we think about that baby, we've got to understand that he is mighty. And I love the song we sang earlier, he is mighty to save. But when you think about Jesus and you think about the might that he has, we see this all throughout the New Testament over and over and over again as his might is exposed throughout the New Testament. You say, well, how is that? Well, you need to understand the Jesus that that we saw in the New Testament had power over disease. There was not a disease that Jesus didn't meet that he didn't cure. There was never one time that somebody that was blinded that came up to him, he wasn't able to heal their blindness. There was never a lame man he met on the road that he didn't make get up and walk. There was never a person who was deaf that Jesus did not make hear. And as we can see, the power of Jesus that was in the New Testament is still the power we see today that's taking a one-month-old baby and healing of cancer. 
We serve a mighty God, one who continues to heal and work miraculous things over diseases. But he also had power over space. One of the coolest things in the New Testament that I love to see was when Jesus wasn't even present, he could still heal. They would come to him. Some people came to him and said, hey, can you heal my child? Can you heal my servant? Can you heal this and that? And he would say, go on. It's already done. Now, a lot of times people think, well, he's got to be present. His physical body has to be right there. You realize that the Holy Spirit, the promise, the comfort of the one that Jesus has given to us here in the New Testament church is always with us. His presence is always available. Jesus is there at the moment we pray. He has power over space. He is omnipresent. He is always everywhere at all times. He sees and knows all things. He has power over space. He also has power over time. There were many diseases that Jesus was able to heal. Those that were sick from birth. One of my favorites is in John chapter 9. The guy had been born blind. We think that more than likely he was over 30 years of age when he had been born blind. He had born blind, lived for 30 years with this disease. And Jesus said, I came at this point and at this time. I love it because he healed the blind man who had been blind for over 30 years. There isn't a disease that Jesus couldn't heal. The woman that had the issue of blood had been that way, I believe, for 17 years, and Jesus was able to heal her. He has power over time. Jesus had power over the Sabbath, where others would rest, where others would not heal, where others would not do miracles, where others would, pre- would keep people at bay. Jesus, even in the midst of the Sabbath, was healing people. Jesus also had power over sin. One of my favorite stories is in Matthew 9 of the four friends who bring their friend to Jesus and they lower him down through the roof. And they lower him down in the midst of all these people and they stop the service that Jesus is having right there because God is moving in a mighty way. And Jesus looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven you. Now the people around said, who does this guy think he is forgiving of sins? And Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, says, what is easier to do? Forgive sins or to tell this man to get up and walk? And he says, just so that you know I have the power to forgive sins, he looked at the man and said, take up your bed and walk. The guy got up with his bed and walked right out in front of him, showing he had power over sin. Not only that, but he had power over nature. Some of the cool stories in the Gospels are Jesus is out there on the boat and the winds are whipping and the boats are starting to tip back and forth all over the place. And Jesus goes out there and says, peace, be still. And the storm is stopped. Jesus also had power over the supernatural. There were people that were possessed with demons, people that had supernatural powers that had taken over them that were causing disruption and causing problems within them. And and Jesus goes to them, and every time a demon would see Jesus, he would fall down in front of him. Fall down and say, we know who you are. Have you come to cast us out? And sure enough, Jesus would cast them out because he had power over the supernatural. But let's not forget, Jesus also had power over death. He never attended a funeral. In fact, he went to one and he stopped it. When they were carrying a little boy, the boy out of Nain, and they were proceeding out, the mother was right there and Jesus goes up to her and tells her to stop crying, stop weeping. And he walks over the casket and he touches it. And he tells the little boy to get up. And right there, after the boy had died, 
he sits up and Jesus picks him up and gives him to his mother. He not only did that with a little boy, he did it with a little girl, he did it with Lazarus, and he did it with himself. You see, Jesus is mighty. I don't know what you're faced with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if there's some disease that's in your life that you need the healing of Jesus to come in. I don't know if there's something going on with your family, but God has the power to reconcile and restore and bring families back together. I don't know if there are problems that are going on with your job, but I know the one that I serve and the one that I can seek and the one that I can pray to can overcome whatever we are faced with. We serve a mighty God. We serve one who has all power, one that can overcome whatever you are faced with. That's the God we serve. But the question is, do you believe it? Because the only way you will believe it is by turning it everything over to him. By trusting it in the hands of the mighty God. But I love this. Not only did he call him Gibor. But he also used the term El, which is for God, which is short for Elohim, which means God, supreme, the deity. Now, here's the thing. Jesus knew that there were so many things that testified to his deity. In fact, in John chapter 5, he gives this explanation in verse 31 when he says this. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, they didn't believe him because it was self-proclaimed witness. He said, there is another who bears witness of me. I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. And first he says, you've got John the Baptist who has declared, I am who I am. You've got John the Baptist who is the one who, with forerunner, who goes before me, who proclaims the message of the gospel, who shared with you to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But not only that, verse 34, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time rejoice in his light. Verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Jesus said, if you don't believe John the Baptist, then believe everything that I've done before you. Believe the healings that you've seen. Believe the raisings from the dead. Believe the scriptures that have proclaimed about me. Believe these things and know that they are true. And then in verse 37, and the father himself who sent me has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. In fact, there were several times that the father had spoken for Jesus. In fact, when he was baptized, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, God the father even testified Verse 38, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Jesus said, you've got the scriptures as well. The truth of the matter is, if you look at the scriptures and you look in the Old Testament, you'll find that there are over 200 prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled every one that was written thereof. They say that to fulfill eight would be one in 10 million to fulfill more than eight, you can imagine the statistics continue to grow. But Jesus fulfilled all 200 of those prophecies. There are some prophecies yet to be fulfilled that he will fulfill in the future. We know that Jesus is the mighty God. To say he's God, now you got to understand this. A lot of people try to put him at a lower level than God. They say he's a demigod or they say because he's the son of God, he's less than God. But the Bible does not dictate that. The Bible tells us that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. 
We're one. We're on the same footing. Jesus is God. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, then you don't know the Jesus I know. He is God. He is nothing less. He is nothing more. He is God. Now, a lot of you say, well, I don't understand the Trinity. Welcome to the club. I don't understand it. I just believe it. Because to be honest with you, the infinite mind of God can't fit into my finite mind. And the truth of the matter is, is the Bible clearly declares that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are three persons, and yet they are one. They're one in unity, one in purpose, one in works, one in everything that they do. They are one, and yet they are God. Jesus is being declared as God. Now, I love this because in the Gospel of John, several times he shares with us the declaration that he is God. John's Gospel begins like this. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The Word he's talking about there is Jesus. Jesus has always been. Even though we say Christmas is Jesus' birthday, please understand, he really doesn't have a birthday. He's always been. He is eternal. He is everlasting. What we celebrate is his birth on earth. We don't celebrate the actual birth of the Savior. We celebrate his birth on earth. He has already been, always has been, always will have existed from eternity past to eternity future. He's God. And we need to grasp that. He's always been, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, a lot of people say, well, wait a minute. We see in the Old Testament, we see in Genesis that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what Genesis 1-1 tells us. And verse 2 tells us the Spirit was roaming over the earth. So we see God the Father, and we see the Holy Spirit. We don't see Jesus there. Well, I tell you, he's there. Nothing was made without him. Why? Because he is God. In fact, in verse 14 of John 1, he says, And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's something special about Jesus. And for us to deny the specialness of Jesus, for us to deny that he is God, is to misunderstand who he is. He is the mighty God. I love it because in the book of Matthew chapter 7, or in Isaiah chapter 7, which is confirmed in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, it simply says this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Let me tell you, the mighty plan of God, by putting on flesh and being born of a virgin, and coming to pay for the sins of the world, having lived a perfect life without sinning, that to me is a mighty plan. That to me is an amazing plan. And only God could fulfill it. No man could be sinless because all of us are born with a sin nature. But not Jesus. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was holy. He was God with us. And then Jesus' declaration in John 8, 58 is one of my favorites, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. They knew what he declared, I am, was God's holy covenant name with his people. 
In fact, in verse 59, it always blows me away because for the longest time, the Jehovah's Witnesses wanted to change that verse because they didn't want to believe that Jesus declared he was God. And so they took verse 58 out and they changed it. And the problem was, is verse 59 says that the Pharisees, and they didn't change this one, picked up stones because they believed him to have blasphemed. How could he blaspheme unless he declared he was God? You got to change both verses if you want to change the meaning of it. Jesus vividly declared I am that I am. I am the one who has always been. I'm the one who's led Israel. I'm the one who's always been there for you. I am. Jesus declared to be God right there in that moment. And they picked up stones to kill him. If you believe anything less about Jesus, let me use the words of C.S. Lewis to help you understand something. C.S. Lewis made this declaration. He said, Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And what he declared there is he simply said this. You cannot declare Jesus as just a good man or a prophet. He's either God or he's not. And what he means by that is simply this. Jesus declared to be God. And if a human declares to be God, he must be a lunatic or a liar or he must be God. He must actually be able to show us that these things are real and true in his life. And C.S. Lewis is right because he is Lord. He is exactly who he declared himself to be. He never backed down from declaring it to others that he was the supreme deity that they needed to worship. It amazes me when we think about these things. Now let's put the two together, mighty God. The word gibor means strength, power, and hero. The word El means Elohim, short for Elohim, which means God and supreme deity. When you put these two together, what he's basically declaring here, not only is he the mighty God, but he is the God hero. Now, I don't know if you like that or not, but I do. He's the God hero. I grew up in an era. I love superheroes, right? The world's mightiest heroes are called the Avengers. But one that I always thought was the best was Superman. I mean, he's faster than everybody. He's more powerful than everybody. I always thought there was something special. I thought it was so cool to watch him as he would fly across the sky, and they'd say, look, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman, you know? And you would think, this is the mightiest of heroes. The power that Superman holds, according to comics, can't even come close to the power that Jesus holds. And although he might have been able to have saved some people from falling over waterfalls and buildings falling on top of them, Jesus saved us from the most important thing, and that was our sin that leads us to hell. There's nobody else that saves like Jesus. There's no other hero that can do the impossible. There's no other hero that can change the course of your life, transform you, and give you an eternity. No other hero but Jesus. I don't care how many heroes they write about. I don't care how many comics they come up with. I don't care how many movies they produce. There's only one that shows us the greatest hero. He's the God hero, the mighty hero. I love this. Why? Because of his own name. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 declares this. She will bring forth the son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for to save his people from their sins. Yeshua simply means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. 
He's come to save us from what? From sin. He's come to save us from death. He's come to save us from hell. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute, Brother John. We, we still die. The answer to that is, yes, we do. We still die physically. But there's a portion of Scripture that tells us that we as Christians don't have to worry about the second death. The second death is what gives us away from God. The second death is the one that separates us from the mighty God. It's the one that separates us for all of eternity. He saves us from ourselves, from our sin, and from hell. There's only one that can do that. Now you may say, well, I can try. I can do my best. I'm here to tell you, your best will always fall short. That's why God sent us a hero. Not only that, but I love it in John chapter 1 and verse 29. John makes this declaration so bold and so clear when he says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who would think that a lamb would save the world? But yet it was a lamb that God asked for in the book of Exodus. That when God had made a declaration, he was going to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians. He told the people of Israel, he said, take a lamb and I want you to sacrifice that lamb and I want you to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. And what will happen is the angel of wrath will pass over you. He'll pass over you. Well, you see, we don't sprinkle the blood of a lamb. We sprinkle the blood of the lamb of God upon our lives. And what happens is the angel of death passes over us and we don't experience the second death. We don't experience separation from God. The God hero applied his blood to our lives so that we might be saved. I'm here to tell you, he saves us from more than a physical death. He saves us from an eternal death. And I love in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It always amazes me how a lot of times we go to doctors and the doctors will give a prognosis. They'll give a diagnosis. They'll tell you what you need to do in order for you to be able to live. And a lot of people will sit back and they'll go, I would like a second opinion. And so they'll go to another doctor and that doctor may prescribe the exact same thing. And they'll say, well, you know what? I think I'm going to go get another opinion. Let me explain something to you. There's only one opinion that will save you from your sin. There's only one opinion that will save you from your destination. There's only one opinion that will save you from death and hell. There's only one that can change the course of mankind, and that is Jesus. You can try to get a second opinion, but one day you'll stand before God, and that second opinion won't matter. You won't be able to look at God and say, well, so-and-so told me such-and-such, and and he's going to say, but what did I tell you? What did I tell you? declare. You see, he is the God hero. He can rescue us from our sins, from our foolishness, from our selfishness, rescue us from our own selves. You see, we serve a mighty God. And when I look at the babe in the manger, when I see that little babe, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of times when we look at babies, that's not what we declare. We, we look at babies a lot of times and we'll say, oh, they're so cute, right? Oh, and, and it's always funny to me how they'll start pointing out and they'll say, oh, well, that, I think it looks like my side of the family. And then the daddy speaks up and says, no, I think it looks like my side of the family. I always find it funny when the parents argue over it's not their family. That does not look like our family. That's yours, right? When they look at a baby, they look at the cuteness. They look at the way the baby looks. They, they want to coo and goo-goo and gaga over the baby. But when you look at the babe in the manger... That child right there, lying in a manger, in a pig trough, 
mind you. Not celebrated by kings, but celebrated by shepherds. Not born in a home, but born in a stable. And when you look at that child in a manger, don't look at it as a baby. Understand that that was the plan of God to bring the salvation of mankind. And that right there in that manger is the mighty God hero. When we look at the manger, I pray that we'll see a difference. That when we look at the manger, we'll see what God intended. We won't sit there and think, oh, I wonder if Jesus was a pretty baby. No, it's not about whether he was pretty. It's about him being mighty. It's about him being holy. It's about him being sinless. It's about him being perfect. And it's about the plan of God that will be enacted into the world as he came to save mankind. My question for you this morning is how amazed are you by our mighty God? How amazed are you by the God who has all power, the one who had the perfect plan, the one who set it all into motion? You see, we serve a mighty, mighty God. And sometimes the smallest packages have the biggest bang for the buck. And this one certainly did. The Savior of the world, born in a manger, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace.